0: WMRA News. I'm Bob Levicki. The man who just over two years ago shot to death two Bridgewater College officers will spend the rest of his life in prison. A police officer seriously injured in the January 6th insurrection tours Virginia to tell his story and counter misinformation about the event. And as lawmakers in Richmond continue their work, the lieutenant governor apologizes for misgendering the only transgender member of the General Assembly. This is the WMRA Daily for Tuesday, February 27. The man who killed two security officers at Bridgewater College in 2022 will spend the rest of his life in prison. The Daily News Record reports that 29-year-old Alexander Wyatt Campbell of Ashland pled guilty to four felonies on Monday. Campbell pled guilty to two charges of the use of a firearm in commission of a felony and two charges of murder in the first degree. Campbell was sentenced to life in prison. He killed campus police officer John Painter and campus safety officer J.J. Jefferson on February 1st, 2022. In a case joined by Virginia's Attorney General, the NCAA is barred for now from enforcing its name, image, and likeness, or NIL, restrictions. CBS News reports that the judge in the case ordered a preliminary injunction against enforcement of the rules on Friday. The U.S. District Judge found that an NCAA policy banning college recruits from discussing NIL opportunities before they enroll in college caused, quote, irreparable harm to student-athletes. Attorney General Jason Miyares and his counterpart in Tennessee filed the lawsuit in January. They argue that the NCAA is violating antitrust law by unfairly restricting how athletes commercially use NIL. The University of Virginia has leased about 55,000 square feet in Falls Church to expand its footprint in northern Virginia. Classrooms and workspaces will be available to full-time students and non-traditional students taking online classes at the Innova Center for Personalized Health, The Daily Progress reports the new campus will host high school students in summer programs and also businesses that offer training through the school. The UVA Northern Virginia campus is expected to open in 2025. A police officer seriously injured at the Capitol in the January 6th insurrection is touring Virginia this week and telling his story. He says his goal is to counter misinformation about what really happened. Virginia Public Radio's Sandy Hausman reports.
1: Michael Fanon was a police officer in D.C. working undercover for a decade. He knew protesters were in town for a so-called Stop the Steel" rally on January 6th of 2021 when his partner called to say rioters had broken into the building and were attacking officers.
2: Even though my shift didn't start until 3 p.m. that day, I jumped in my truck and, and headed into work. You know, for the first time in, in probably about 10 years, I was going to put on a uniform and respond to the Capitol.
1: Fanone was shocked by what he found there, and his mission went from law enforcement to survival. When a man grabbed and dragged him into the crowd of rioters, his body camera recorded the attack. He was beaten and shot several times with a taser. Fanone feared he might die, so he shouted that he was a parent, leading a few in the crowd to stop the attack and get him back to his partner.
2: Mike, it's Jimmy. I'm here. Mike, he take his vest off. Maybe he's yeah. having trouble breathing. Yeah, Hold yeah. on. Mike, I'm here for you, buddy.
1: Benone would spend several days in the hospital where doctors found he'd suffered a heart attack and a traumatic brain injury. Today, he's recovered physically, but he's still furious with politicians who downplayed the seriousness of what happened. I'm Sandy Houseman.
0: On to the General Assembly now. Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears is apologizing for misgendering the only transgender member of the Virginia General Assembly, also with the Virginia Public Radio. Michael Pope reports.
2: Senator Danica Rome is a Democrat from Prince William County who was making a parliamentary inquiry when it happened. And to what would be the exact number for that, uh, Madam President?
1: Yes, sir. That would be
2: 32. That second voice was Republican Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears. After she misgendered Rome, the senator put her microphone down and walked out of the Senate chamber. After two very tense delays in the action, the lieutenant governor apologized.
1: Let it be known I am not here to upset anyone. I am here to do the job that the people of Virginia have called me to do. And that is to treat everyone with respect and dignity. I myself have at times not been afforded that same respect and dignity.
2: Couching her apology in victimhood did not work for Patricia Lynn Stevens, who was at the Capitol to lobby for Women and Gender Studies.
3: I don't think that it is fair. That is used as an excuse almost for misgendering someone, especially the only trans woman in um, our Virginia-elected stuff.
2: Rome was the first transgender member of the House of Delegates when she was first elected in 2017. And this year, she became Virginia's first transgender senator. Earl Sears is Virginia's first black woman lieutenant governor. In the wake of the Alabama Supreme Court decision to
0: designate frozen embryos as unborn people, Virginia's elected officials in Washington and Richmond are working to protect in vitro fertilization. Also with Virginia Public Radio, Brad Kuttner reports.
1: Since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v.ersus Wade with the Dobbs decision, we have seen politicians and judges who have been working to try and strip away the rights of women and and our families.
3: That's Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger speaking in support of legislation she co-sponsored Monday, which would protect the use of IVF nationwide. In Richmond, with the 2024 legislative session nearly at its end, it's too late to submit a bill explicitly protecting IVF, but leadership in either chamber or Governor Glenn Youngkin could move to add language protecting it as part of budget negotiations. Legislating in the budget is often frowned upon, but lawmakers argued something should be done and soon. Northern Virginia Delegate Vivian Watts' daughter-in-law was among families who've conceived via IVF. Watts said that process undoubtedly involved discarding non-viable fertilized eggs.
1: Am I now to be regarded as murder? because those eggs weren't viable.
3: And Senate Majority Leader Scott Serval may push for budget language on the issue as well. In light of that, we really need to think hard about whether or not we need to adopt protections to make sure it never happens in Virginia. The governor, meanwhile, recently marched with pro-life advocates, such as the Virginia Family Foundation, which argues life is sacred from fertilization to natural death. But a statement from his press secretary Monday said Youngkin, quote, will always protect access to IVF and fertility treatments that Virginians rely on to realize their dream building a family virginia's
0: red flag law has successfully taken guns out of the hands of people who pose a danger to themselves or others new legislation would encourage more law enforcement agencies to use such risk orders michael has the details
2: stories of virginia's red flag law show it's been used over and over again to take dangerous weapons out of the hands of dangerous people take this example from delegate rip sullivan a democrat from fairfax county
1: There was a time in April 2022 when the Warren County Commonwealth's attorney asked the court to enter a risk order against a man who posted videos of himself online holding an AR-style rifle and directly and specifically threatened the Strasburg Police Department, saying he would come to Strasburg to take back what was his, and the police couldn't stop him, and he would take them all on.
2: Sullivan introduced the bill, creating the red flag law back in 2020. Now, he says, some law enforcement agencies are not making use of the tool. Here's Senate Majority Leader Scott Surivel.
3: The chart I had showed that in Roanoke, they're barely doing these at all. I think one in Roanoke County, one in Roanoke City in the last three years. So this is basically an effort to try to train localities to try and use them more.
2: The bill directs the Department of Criminal Justice Services to create a training program to let law enforcement agencies know how risk orders might benefit them. Sullivan's bill has already passed the House and a Senate panel, although it still needs the approval of the Senate Finance Committee. Reporting from the Capitol in Richmond, I'm Michael Pope. As
0: deaths from opioid overdoses continue to rise across the Commonwealth, one Virginia senator is hoping to see as many elected officials get trained to use an emergency treatment as
3: possible. Brad has more on that. Abingdon area senator Todd Pillion held an Naloxone training session for the state's elected officials Monday morning. The event, managed by the state's Department of Health, included a challenge. It's important that we're all trained in the General Assembly to administer naloxone. So uh, this morning I challenged the House and the Senate to 140 members to get trained. Naloxone, also known by the brand name Narcan, is a fast-acting nasal spray that can help stop an overdose from drugs like fentanyl. Among those in attendance was Arlington Area Delegate Adele McClure. McClure has long been involved in harm reduction in Naloxo administration, and she was glad to see Pillion's training session.
1: Really, really excited to see this here, um, and, and hopefully we can continue to work together on, on more harm reduction efforts.
3: This kind of support for harm reduction is relatively new. Only in 2020 did Virginia make a safe harbor provision to protect those who call an ambulance after administering Naloxone. But Pillion said his training sessions are a sign of a changing need. We, as members, have seen the effects of it in our immediate families in our, in our, uh, in and our employment and throughout the Commonwealth. And we know that we, we play a key part in making sure this doesn't continue. A number of bills which further address the use of naloxone, including training for students above the age of 16 across the state, are currently sailing through the legislature, with Governor Glenn Youngkin expected to give them his OK. In Richmond, I'm Brad Kuttner. Dominion Energy is
0: selling half its interest in the Virginia Beach offshore wind project. WHRO's Catherine Hafner reports.
4: New York investment firm Stone Peak will take over a 50% interest in the coastal Virginia offshore wind project, but Dominion will retain control. Dominion told the Virginia Mercury that the deal will not impact people's bills. The utility says it's trying to reduce its debt. The wind farm off the Virginia Beach oceanfront is expected to cost nearly $10 billion. Regulators still have to okay Stone Peak's purchase of about $3 billion. The wind farm got federal approval last year. Dominion plans to start construction this spring.
0: Many coastal cities depend on seawalls to protect them from flooding, but engineers worry that climate change could make those walls less stable. Catherine reports on new research out of Virginia Tech.
4: Many seawalls along the East Coast were built 50 or more years ago, and now they're starting to sink or shift in place. Researcher Sharif Abdelaziz says those small changes can make a big difference over time. Imagine one notable example in Italy's Pisa. The Pisa tower was not built to be leaning. Uh, It was built to be straight and a regular tower. But why are seawalls shifting more than expected? Abdelaziz thinks higher temperatures and flooding from climate change might be to blame. His team at Virginia Tech has built an 8-foot-high research wall to test whether that's true. Abdelaziz says the goal is to make sure walls built today can survive a hotter world. Since we know that this
2: might happen 50 years from now, let's solve it at this moment when we actually design and construct our retaining walls.
0: Catherine Hafner reporting. And finally today, last week, DCist, a Washington, D.C.-based news outlet owned by NPR member station WAMU, was shut down. Fifteen people were laid off. Megan Moore with VPM News reports.
4: DCist was first launched in 2004 when it grew to become a prominent digital news outlet providing local news and lifestyle coverage for the district. It has been owned by WAMU since 2018 when the local news site was acquired after the Gothamist Network, its original owner, shut down. DCist.com now redirects visitors to the WAMU website and its online archives are not available to the public. Erica Pulley-Hayes, the station's general manager, told staff members on Friday morning the station was going to focus on audio instead of digital journalism, according to The Washington Post. American University, the station's license holder, recently worked with Huron Consulting on strategic workforce assessments, according to The Eagle Online, an independent student publication.
0: Megan Moore reporting for WMRA News. I'm Bob Levicky. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy your Tuesday.